All right. Well, the handout, as I said, those of you just came in, these are just, I just went ahead and just took my uh, notes and made a copy just for ease uh, because we'll probably go through some things kind of quickly. And uh, there's, uh, oh, what, about seven or eight, seven uh, headings, five, six, yeah, seven different headings. Those are just my arbitrary breakdown of the chapters. But again, we're just here to give a little fly over a little overview. Now we begin, obviously, we talked a little bit about this last night with Jacob uh, and his birth. And if you want to go, and you'll need your Bibles, I don't have the scriptures on the screen, but go to Genesis 25. And uh, we find that uh, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, uh, in verse 21, uh, she is barren. And uh, Isaac, um, you know, prays, Rebecca prays. And God blesses them, not just with one child, but with what? Two, with twins. And uh, so verse 21 says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. A precursor of preview of coming attractions in their life, right? And she said, if all is well, why am I this way? And so she, she herself prayed, and the Lord said in your womb, verse 23, two nations are in your womb, two peoples shall be separated from your body. Uh, and then verse 24, she gave birth, and uh, the first one who came out uh, red was like, was like a hairy garment all over. So uh, he probably didn't get the uh, baby of the year award, but they called his name Esau. And after that was his brother. And notice what it says about verse 26. It says, Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. That's a picture and a metaphor for his life. Always trying to grasp on and and take hold of something. And maybe, I don't know if he was trying to pull Esau back in or what. Uh, But uh, uh, And that was Jacob. And then, of course, it says Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. But notice verse 27 and 28, because we see uh, seeds of division. That's kind of just the little heading that I gave it, uh, the division there, because it says, so the boys grew, verse 27, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac, don't miss this, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you see that favoritism already there between mom and dad. And sadly, that was just perpetuated all throughout their life and caused uh, continuous problems. And so um, we kind of looked at that last week. But notice in chapter 27, we now see um, I'm skipping 26 with Isaac and Abimelech, but 27 is we see now the uh, deception of Isaac, uh, or the deception rather that of Jacob regarding his father Isaac. And uh, just again, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just want to summarize that what happened was, uh, and, and, and really this went back, uh, something I didn't mention in chapter 25 was, uh, we see Jacob, verse 20, uh, chapter 25, 29, uh, Esau was, came in from hunting, and Jacob had prepared this stew, and uh, Jacob said, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you some of the stew if you give me, sell me your birthright or give me your birthright. And Esau, uh, which was that firstborn birthright, uh, uh, said, you know, you can have it, I don't care. Uh, and swore at him and uh, verse 33 sold his birthright to Jacob but verse 34 says Esau despised his birthright and the implication is Esau wasn't a spiritual man not that Jacob was going to win any awards for spirituality either but you're just seeing the contrast there that Esau really had no regard for his heritage or certainly the um, the legacy of being the firstborn but chapter 27 we see this Deception kind of even uh, brought a little further, and mom is in on the scheme. And uh, if you want to pick it up at verse 19, uh, basically what it began was that Jacob uh, told Esau, he said, you know, I really would love to have some of that venison. I'd really love to have some of that stew. So uh, you bring it in, and, and uh, 
uh, and the uh, birthright, uh, or not the birthright, but the prayer blessing. And uh, I will uh, pray that blessing over you. Uh, verse 10, um, it says that, uh, uh, actually verse uh, 8, uh, Rebecca is overhearing this conversation. So she tells Jacob, uh, quick, go get some of those goats, and uh, we're going we're gonna to cook it up like venison. But the whole scheme is that the, uh, begins by t- Isaac talking about he's old in age, uh, dim in sight. And so what they're going to, they're going to concoct this uh, scheme where uh, uh, Jacob is going to come in disguised as Esau, uh, and Rebecca, mom, is in on this because remember, she has favoritism towards Jacob. And so she comes up with this scheme, and both of them are at it, and um, she prepares the stew kind of under the, the guise that it's, uh, of what Esau did, and Jacob... Um, says, wow, you're back so soon. Verse, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 19. And Jacob said to his father, uh, I am Esau. You know, I, I, he came in and Isaac said, verse 18, who are you? He says, I am Esau, rise and eat the game that I prepared. But again, it's all to deceive and trick uh, Isaac to give Jacob the secondborn, the firstborn patriarchal blessing, which again, in our in our view, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Like, why, why, did he, why couldn't he just take back the words? Why did he have to, why was it a big deal? Well, apparently in that culture, in that time, uh, the, the words, especially words, uh, and even though Isaac wasn't quite on his deathbed, the implication is he, in fact, he lived several years uh, longer after this, but there was, a, there was a solemnness in these words, and so it couldn't be just something that could be easily reversed. And so, uh, he came in, and uh, uh, mom put on some kind of animal uh, fur on his arms and, and had him uh, smell up a little bit like uh, Esau and uh, basically tricked Isaac into believing that Jacob was Esau. Uh, and she brought in the stew, and she must, you know, somebody said he must have been a good cook to make goat meat taste like uh, venison, but I guess technically it could be called venison. But um, the father said, verse 26, to Isaac, Isaac said, come near now, my son, um, and and kiss me. And he came near, verse 27, kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. And he was convinced that Jacob, disguised as Esau, was really Esau. Isaac was under that that, uh, belief. And of course, you can read there, verse 27, 28, and 29, the blessing that he gave. Well, it wasn't too long after that happened that Esau found out about it and obviously was quite upset. And look at 2741. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now this, again, this favoritism, this scheming that mom was in on, it just, you know, it just, it, I think it, they, they bit off more than they, they could chew, and certainly the implications of what would take place. And sadly, uh, obviously, uh, Jacob is in fear for his life, and Rebecca tells him uh, to uh, verse 43, she says, Now therefore, my son, uh, go to my brother Laban in Haran. Uh, so flee before I, Esau finds you, because Esau's going to kill you, and, um, and, and leave, and, and Laban, my brother, uh, will protect you, he's family, and uh, so go to Haran and, and find Laban and stay with him. And so sadly, uh, that is the last time that Rebekah ever sees Jacob again, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Her favorite, her favorite, the one that she was scheming to get the blessing, and yet she would never see him again. So, um, so look at chapter 28. Some of these will slow down a little bit. But chapter 28, I've entitled Destiny, because you see a little picture now of where uh, Jacob is reminded of his covenantal destiny, if you will. So he left in a hurry, 
Esau is made a vow to kill him. He doesn't want to be around Esau, so she, uh, Rebekah sent him to her brother Laban, chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You should not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. But Isaac uh, tells him to go to Laban, your, brother, your mother's brother. By the way, you remember that's where Abraham uh, vowed, made his servant make a vow that he would find Isaac a wife in Haran uh, because of the familial relationship that was there. Uh, back in, I think, chapter 24, you can read that. So this was uh, something somewhat familiar, the family, uh, to find a, a wife that would be within the family tribe, uh, that the, the uh, child and the seed would be uh, perpetuated uh, and maintained through that family line. So Jacob fled to uh, Haran, and in this leaving, uh, verse 13 he uh, stops and, uh, to take a rest and encounters the Lord. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 10. Now Jacob, again, he's on the run, went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. I guess he didn't know about the my pillow, but he... he um, did, you know, made a, made a rock there. I've slept on some pillows that I thought were rocks. but And then it says, He dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Do you remember what Jesus told Nathaniel? That he would have, he, he, I don't know if he necessarily makes reference to this vision, but he talks about, uh, you think it's impressive that I saw you under the tree, you're going to see you're going to see this vision of, of the glory of God going up and down from the earth to the heavens. Remember, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Nathaniel uh, that Jesus said that. You can double check on me on that because some of you look blank. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Notice again, this is a reiteration and a reaffirmation of that Abrahamic covenant that God had established with his grandfather beginning in Genesis 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And uh, so he's, what is he saying? The land on which you lie, I'm going to give to you and your descendants. That's what he promised to Abraham. That was reiterated to Isaac. Verse 14, and you're also your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Sound familiar? That's what he said. To, that's the word he gave, the covenantal promise he gave to Abraham, passed on through Isaac and Jacob and his seed. He was bringing reassurance of that covenantal promise and that blessing. Notice how Jacob responded in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 28. Uh, what did he do? In verse 18 and 19, what did he do? It's in your notes, so I gave you the answer. He set an altar. He began to worship God and called uh, and named it Bethel, uh, which means house of God. So he set up, after this vision, this encounter with the Lord, he set up a, a, an altar, a place of worship which is a good thing to do. A, a real encounter with the, God, with the Lord should prompt one to worship God, right? Yes, okay, good. And uh, we're on a roll here. And then in the chapter 28, verse 20 and 22, he made a vow to tithe. Now remember, this tithe is not the same as the tithe that was instituted in the law. That was to come. That was, that was, that was to be years later. Many years later, uh, this tithe was similar to the tithe. You remember when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek? It wasn't a mosaic tithe. It was a tithe that was, a, um, was an act of honor to, from the lesser to the greater. Okay? Now, later in the mosaic law, the tithe would be codified in the law because it was through the tithe that the Levites were, were paid. That was where they got their 
finances and uh, monies uh, and their needs taken care of. But all I want you to remember is that this action of the tithe was just an acknowledgement as part of this worship of authority from the lesser to the greater, okay? Kind of like, again, when Abraham tithed the Melchizedek, it was an honor from the lesser to the greater, okay? So, but don't miss this, that this encounter with the Lord prompted worship and action, prompted worship and action. And, you know, uh, that really hasn't changed. That should, when we encounter and experience the presence of God, it should prompt us uh, to worship and action, all right? Genesis 29 through 31, we go through a season of delays with Jacob. You know, the road to God's purpose sometimes in our life uh, is encountered with a lot of delays. And we'll find that a lot of these delays were self-inflicted delays. Remember what James 1 says about the discipline of the Lord? Don't despise the discipline of the Lord says to do something crazy like rejoice, be happy, you know, when you're going through the discipline of God, when you're going through trials and sufferings. Remember that, James 1? But it says, but when that process of, of, of the trials, when God brings it to a sense of completion in that process, it says that it will bring forth perseverance, it will bring forth long-suffering, that when we go through the trials, when we go through hardship, when we go through even self-inflicted wounds among our own disobedience, that if we allow God to work His purposes in it, He can bring fruit from those, from those encounters or from those trials. And so Jacob, here he's going to uh, see Uncle Laban. Remember, he's on the run from Esau. And uh, if you know, we'll see in this story, you remember Jacob, um, he was a hustler, he was a deceiver, he was a conniver, he was a manipulator, but boy, he met his match with Uncle Laban. (laughs) He met his match with Uncle Laban. Let's look at a few things in chapter 29, verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked and saw a well in the field. Now remember, you know, he's... There's no directories, there's no Googling, there's no phone book, you know. So he doesn't know where Laban is. He doesn't know how to get to his... I mean, he's just... He knows he's out in that area somewhere. And uh, he's just... Hopefully he's going to find him somehow. Um, I'm sure he had, you know, some direction there. They weren't totally lost. But to my knowledge, there's no word that he even met him before. So he went out there uh, and saw a well in the field... Uh, a well in that, in any kind of community, that was the gathering place where people would uh, get their water and water for their flocks and sheep, and that's what's going on there. And it says uh, at the end of verse 2, a large stone was on, was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, verse 3. Uh, verse 4, and Jacob said to them, those who gathered there, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Yay. GPS worked out nice, finally. Got me to where I needed to go. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. All right, cue up the music now and the slow motion with Rachel now. And and they said... uh, Verse uh, uh, verse 7, then he said, look, it is still high day and it is not time for the cattle to be gathered together, water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, let me kind of go back in that. that, I read that kind of fast. Let me start at verse 6. So he said to them, is he well? Jacob said, is he well? And they said, yes, Laban is well. And look, here's daughter Rachel and she's coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together, uh, water the sheep, and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob, look at this, verse 10, when Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban, 
his mother's brother and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and you know what? He's going to impress her and he's going to roll that stone from the well's mouth. He's going to show, hey, you know, uh, he, may be, he may like the arts and the classical music and hanging out, you know, but, it, you know, he's going he's gonna to muscle up some, some strength there and uh, he's going to roll that stone away so they can water the flock. And then verse 11, he doesn't waste any time. What does it say? Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now, girls, I don't know about you on your first date. Uh, if the guy <laughs> kissed you and then started crying, I, I don't know if Sherry would have thought that was impressed by that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, with all joking aside, you see, I think, the gratitude of God hearing their prayer and making this provision and meeting uh, this, uh, this need in his life. So he meets Rachel, and uh, that's only half of the story. Verse 12, uh, taking a little time because this is important for the plot. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, verse 12, 29, 12, and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass... When Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with them for a month. Now, to be a little cynical, and as we kind of know a little bit more as we go along about Laban, remember that Laban remembered, because he was around, the last time when... Uh, granddaddy sent his group and his entourage looking for a wife for Jacob's father, Isaac. If you read back, I think it's in 24, there was great gold and silver and all the wealth of Abraham that was part of that entourage was coming. So do you think, just to be a little cynical, do you think... Maybe that excited Laban of why he ran and kissed and thought, my ship has come in finally here, right? Well, I'm reading into that a little bit, but a little bit we learn about Laban, I'm not sure I'd put that too far from him. So, But we're not going to impugn any motives here or anything. But uh, just to kind of move the story along a little bit, uh, this seems to be love at first sight. Uh, chapter verse 20, to kind of get just kind of summarize. Uh, Jacob does not have, uh, as would be traditional, a dowry uh, money to, uh, uh, to provide for the bride's family. Uh, and so essentially, verse 20, he agrees to work it off before the marriage. And the Bible says in verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now guys, I won't ask any opinions here, but you know, I mean, just, just saying there, he worked for seven years, and uh, I love this, uh, where does it say, uh, verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed but a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet? Now, come on, don't be cynical. That's sweet, all right? But then Jacob, remember, uh, Laban is going to meet his and has met his match there. And to kind of summarize, there's a problem. Okay, I've worked my seven years. Let's go. Marriage, right? And Laban's like, not so fast. He said, you know, we got a little problem. <laughs> you know, she has an older sister named Leah. And it's not right that the younger daughter should be given in marriage and the older daughter isn't married. And so, what happens? It says that um, uh, verse 29, verse... Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing there. Let's skip down to uh, verse... Well, 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her, consummate the marriage, be married, husband and wife. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place... And made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, she's the older, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her, according to the New King James. That's kind of a nice way to say that they um, 
consummated that relationship, all the while the implication is believing that she is who? That she's Rachel. So it came to pass, verse 25, in the morning, that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Did we get our wires crossed? Um, did I have a typo in the email? I mean, what, where did we... Why then have you deceived me? Now, don't miss the irony here. Jacob is deceived because somebody deceived their identity in tricking him. Right? Where have we seen this movie before? Back with dad and mom, right? Now... Jacob, which seems a little impulsive, when he finds out Leah, uh, Laban said, it must, uh, said, uh, what, you know, he says, uh, verse 27, what is this you have done? Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Uncle Laban, it would have been kind of nice to know that a few days ago, right? This rule, or whatever it is, why am I finding about it now? But anyway... And then he says, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So, nephew, you work another seven years, you stay married to Leah, and you work another seven years, and you'll get Rachel. And Jacob, he loved Rachel. He did so, fulfilled her week, meaning Leah's week, and the, in other words, the wedding, and consummation, and, and so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And then Jacob also went into Rachel, and, also, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. There we go again. Here we find division and favoritism, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So not only did Jacob now, he just wanted one wife, and now he's got two wives. And then if you read on, there's kind of a contest as far as delivering babies that goes on now, all right, between uh, the two of them. And so before we know it, uh, Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob marries both girls, and within eight years, he's got, tw Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. So there is this, there is this marriage going back and forth. But notice that uh, there's a lot of conceiving going on here between verse 31 and 35. Uh, verse 34, um, verse 31, sorry. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, and his name was Simeon. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name shall be called Levi. And then verse 35, Leah conceived again and bore a son, therefore she called his name Judah, then she stopped Bearing. Hold something there. Go in your Bibles over to Matthew 1. Go to Matthew 1. Matthew chapter 1. What was the name of her last son? So Matthew 1, beginning with the genealogy, Luke... Uh, begins in chapter 3, traces the lineage backwards through Adam. Matthew begins the tracing of the Messiah's line through David. And then it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, verse 1, The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. Of course, we know Jacob didn't begot nobody. It was Leah that begot, right? But you get the idea. Now, don't miss this. 
an important principle, I think. Do you think Jacob was disappointed when he had to get hooked into this arrangement with a woman that he didn't really didn't love? Yeah, he wanted Rachel. Love at first sight. I mean, that, that seven years went by like that because the Bible says of his love for her. I mean, that gives you an idea of the affection, right? But yet in the purpose and providence of God, it was Leah that God had purposed providentially to be the one that would bear Judah that the line of Messiah would come through. Not Rachel. Sometimes the very things that are our greatest points of disappointment. Maybe we'll understand in this life and maybe we won't. But oftentimes in the providence of God. God's purposes are beyond what we can see or understand. You see God's purposes. Covenantal fulfillment purposes. Work through the disappointment of Leah, not Rachel. Joseph, as we'll see later in a, next week or the week after, as we conclude it, looked at his brothers with great disappointment, great sorrow. But he could say, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. The New Testament equivalent of that is Romans 8.28. For we know that God works all things together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. The divine will and purpose of the sovereignty of God was through the line of Leah, Judah. That's the line of Messiah, not Rachel. But Rachel was the, Leah was the disappointment. Leah was the heartache. I, you know, he's like, I don't want Leah. God said, yeah, but. She's the one who's going to bring forth the line of Messiah. And so it's just a reminder that what we perceive as setbacks and disappointments, sometimes, sometimes we find out, and sometimes maybe in the courts of heaven, God will grace us with why, if it even matters at that point. Still in chapter 31, Jacob, long story short, waits till Laban is away. And instead of trusting, obeying God, he uses that as an opportunity to flee the scene and be on the run. He does a lot of running in his life. Chapter 31, we're in chapter 31 now. Uh, 24, look at 31, 24. Um, Verse 22, I'm sorry, 31:22. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled, took his, took his wives, kids. He's had enough, right? Laban's not happy. Then he took, verse 23, then Laban took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Now look at verse 24. But God had come to Laban, and basically said, leave him alone. Now, could God have done that before if Jacob had trusted God? Right? Sometimes we never give God the opportunity to work because we want to do, we want to take matters in our own hands, right? That seems to be a pattern with a lot of people in the scriptures, but we see that with Abraham. God made a promise. He got a little impatient. You know, I mean, and it seems to be a pattern, not just in those guys, but it seems to be just a human pattern that instead of allowing time to have faith and allow God to work, Laban, or rather Jacob, what does he do? He flees because he's in fear that he's, just, he, that he's not going to do this anymore, and he takes the family and runs. Laban is going to chase after him. He's got my grandkids and my two daughters. I'm not going to let that guy get away from me. But it says, but verse 24, God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob 
Now Jacob pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me? Verse 27, Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? You know, I would have sent you away with joy and songs. Like, well, yeah, you could have done that like 14 years ago. Verse 28, you didn't allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, and now you have done foolishly in so doing. Verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. Remember the promise that the Lord gave to Abram? That I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those that curse you. You see, it wasn't because Jacob was all that in a, in a Snickers bar, right? God wasn't, it wasn't because Jacob earned God's protection and favor. No. God swore to himself in that covenant of what he would do. That he was going to be faithful to his covenant. When, he, when that Shekinah glory as a pillar of fire walked between those animal carcasses, Abraham didn't go in between those. God was making covenant, if you could say, with himself. Because he knew Abraham wasn't gonna, couldn't uphold the, the bargain. He knew Isaac wasn't going to uphold the bargain. He knew Jacob, certainly. You know, he wasn't gonna, it wasn't dependent on their obedience. Now think about it in the history of Israel. I mean, they reached points where Israel suffered greatly, even to the point that the Babylonians and different armies would come in and, and take them captive, wipe out Jerusalem, destroy the nation, just like it just as obliterated. But yet God always promises restoration. Why? Because he goes back to that covenantal blessings. And so... I love that God, God, here you got two manipulators. Jacob always scheming, but God could do in one night in a dream to Laban. Right? What Jacob could never do. God's, and that tells you a little bit of maybe about something. We kind of give Laban a, a bad rap. But Laban, give him credit, he was sensitive to hear God and obey. Right? Right? He, he, he said, it's in my power. In other words, everybody would know I would be justified in the way you disrespected, the way you took my family. I mean, on and on and on. You know, honor and respect, you know, it's still an important thing, but even more so in, in that culture. But he says, but God said to leave you alone. In chapters 32 through 33, by the way, I do have a typo that Keith pointed out. Keith, where, where was that? I have some erroneous information. Okay. Where? Uh, da, 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 da. Yes. Look at the, what is it? Maybe the third, fourth? No. Huh? Yeah, I said something about, um, oh, my notes are a little different here, but there's something in there where I have sister and wife confused there, so uh, you, you know what I mean there. You can read it and figure it out, but I've got a typo there. Do you see it? All right. Number, what are we at? Number four, let's look at the, uh, now we already looked at the delays. Look at um, five, detours, detours. Everybody there? Detours. Chapter 32, this is a great chapter where Jacob wrestles the angel of the Lord, but it starts out, 
that verse 1, chapter 32, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, or Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Basically, he's wanting to eliminate this threat. And if you read it, I guess you could read it two different ways, because oftentimes we read it and we say, here's a great example of a person seeking reconciliation. And that certainly is true. But I guess my cynic has it that I see more manipulation going on uh, by Jacob in order to appease and, and take matters into his own hands uh, let's kind of read it. Verse 4, and he commanded them, his messengers, to go to Esau, his brother, in Edom. Verse 4, and he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Hmm, when's he ever called Esau my lord? Thus your servant Jacob. When did he ever call himself Esau's servant? Says, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks. Male and female servants, I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he also is coming to meet you. That wasn't the plan. It was to pave the way for me to go on my terms, but now he's coming to me. And it says, verse 7, Jacob is what? Greatly afraid and distressed. And it says, He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. What is he doing? He's essentially preparing for a disaster. And he's going to make sure that his children, his servants, all his interests are separated and are not going to be destroyed by Esau because he is... In great fear, he remembers the threat of Esau, right? And I think that, that, that kind of language and appealing to him with some wealth to go out there, I think it was hopefully to bend Esau into kindness, but he figures now none of that's going to work. And then what does Jacob do? Verse 9, Oh God, my father Abraham... And God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, and I will deal with you. What does he do? He calls on the name of the Lord, and it's in this process of him awaiting what could be his death that he gets, tells his kids and family, verse 22, um, he arose in the night, took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook sent them over what he had, and then Jacob was left alone. Don't miss that. You see, sometimes the last thing somebody wants to do is be alone with God. Because that's when God can deal with you, right? And God is going to deal with Jacob right now. In fact, the angel of the Lord, it says, then Jacob was left alone and a man. Now, your version, does it have man capitalized? Or does it, what does it say? What is it, what is it, does it say angel of the Lord? Or what does it say? Does it, does it, is it capitalized? Okay. Okay. Well, if it, like in the New King James, I don't know if the ESV or others, they're making an interpretation by capitalizing on it. But I think it's correct because what they're trying to convey is that this is not just some man living out there in the woods or in the caves, all right? That what Jacob is encountering is a man, meaning the Lord himself. Now, this is what oftentimes is referred to as a theophany. You may have heard that term before, a theophany. A theophany is a term that is used 
um, to speak of a pre-incarnate presence, personage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pre-incarnate, incarnation. He was born into flesh. So Joshua, the captain of the Lord's hosts, many interpret that as a theophany. Theophany uh, is, again, a picture of the Lord, or even the Lord Jesus Christ more specifically, that is an Old Testament manifestation, okay? So those that would look at this say this isn't just wrestling with just an angel. This is actually uh, wrestling with the Lord pre-incarnate, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. This is an Old Testament personage, if you will, of of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Um, That's traditionally the way this has been interpreted. Uh, Or, at the other, uh, it is just an angel of the Lord. But I think as you read along, I think it's more than just an angel that is going on here. And what does he do? He wrestles with the angel of the Lord. In verse 25, what happens in verse 25? Knocks his hip out of socket. It just says he touched. My translation says it touched. Sometimes that's all God needs to do is just touch. And then he said, verse 26, Let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now think about that. This is Jacob saying this. Jacob is used to grabbing onto things and making things happen, right? I mean, Jacob came out of the womb doing what? Grabbing onto his brother's heel. And the idea, or maybe the thought there you could consider, is that Jacob is begging and grasping for the Lord to bless him and do something when the Lord has already blessed him. The Lord has already protected him. The Lord has already given him. Esau is so used to taking things into his own hands and saying, I'm not going to let you go unless you do this. And the Lord's like, do what? I've blessed you. I made covenant with Abraham. With your daddy Isaac, I've reaffirmed my covenant with you. you. You have all the fullness of blessings and my protection and promises. You don't have to grasp anything. You don't have to wrestle me for anything. But isn't that kind of what we do? Isn't that kind of what works religion does? We want to just always be wrestling with God to make something happen. God bless me when God says, I already have. I've given you all things in Christ. You don't need to wrestle me down. You don't need to make me, you know, you don't have to kind of take matters in your own hands and make something happen with me. I've already given all these things. But the Lord knocks his hip out of socket and gives him a new name. A new name is usually representative of a new beginning, a new calling. Verse 28 says, you're no longer to be called Jacob, but you'll be called what? And then Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you're asking my name? Verse 29. And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Some translations, Penuel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. This wasn't just any angel. He says, I have seen God face to face, and I am lived to tell the tale. Now, you would think that would be a life-changing moment. And it was significant. Don't get me wrong. But yet, we still see, even with this limp, which was going to be a reminder for the rest of Jacob's life. You know, some of us, we have limps in our life where we've encountered the discipline of the Lord. You could say it that way. Sometimes God takes people and turns their strut into a limp, right? That's what he does with the proud. 
Or they think, and that's kind of like Jacob. He took him and turned, turned his strut and gave him a limp. Because every time he took a step, guess what? He was reminded God could have done more than just knocked his hip out of socket. He could have taken his life. But he didn't because Jacob was all that. No, 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 no. Because God was faithful to his, what? His covenant, right? And so we see that he has another encounter with Esau. Esau wants him to come back. Verse 30, chapter 33, you can read it there. He wants, Esau wants him to come back to Edom. Jacob's like, I'm not going to Edom. Um, but he kind of lies and, and makes him think he's going to catch up with him. But uh, Jacob goes a completely different direction. Now remember, remember, go back to chapter 31, verse 13, before we look at chapter 34 and wrap it up. Go back to chapter 31, verse 13. What did the Lord tell Jacob to do? Verse 13, chapter 31, he said, I am the God of, of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. And the Lord says to Jacob, now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your, what? Of your kindred, of your family. Well, that's still, that still is what he's to do, but he, he's still not doing it. So instead of going back to Bethel, instead of going back to his kindred, he moves, he goes in chapter 34, he goes to a place called Shechem. And in chapter 34, I have it labeled disaster because there's nothing but disaster that waits him and his family. And he doesn't just go to, he doesn't just go to Shechem to, hang, to kind of vacation. It says that he went and lived there for a while. Then Jacob uh, verse, chapter eight, verse 18 of 33. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. It's not where he was supposed to be. It says he pitched his tent before the city, and he, brought the, he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi. Israel. Well, that's nice, but that wasn't what God told him to do. He's buying a parcel of land. Guess what? He's going to stay a while. He's going to live there. You read chapter 34, it starts off with, with some really tragic events. His daughter, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, is raped by the prince of Shechem. The brothers... And, of course, this turns into a fiasco. And the Bible says in verse 13 that the brothers kind of have a deceitful plan. Who doesn't fall for the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor. They're basically saying, well, he's in love with her and yada, 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 trying to justify the assault. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And here's the plan. They concoct, they're going to make covenant with them. And they say, you know, but we got this, this circumcision thing, guys. And we can't make a contract with you unless all your fighting men are circumcised. I'd hate to have been that sergeant from Shechem to go back and say, got some good news, boys, and got some bad news. <laughs> we don't have to go to war, but we're going to the hospital. <laughs> all right, so they are all circumcised. And while they are healing, the sons of Jacob and their army go in and slaughter them all. In verse 30 of chapter 34, 28, they took all their sheep, oxen, plundered. Verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. 
among the Canaanites, the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Verse chapter 35, then God said to Jacob, here we go again. Jacob, I'm going to say it again. Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from Esau. You see, if Jacob had done what God said to begin with, now, you know, we're hard on Jacob, but think about the things that if I had obeyed God here, if I had just listened to God here, <laughs> all this may not have taken place. Listen, just because you're in a mess, just because you're in trouble that is often because of your own, your own disobedience and your own unwillingness to listen to the Lord and trust Him and leave all the consequences to Him, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. In fact, God's, God's faithful. He'll walk you through your mess to get you back where you belong. And you can read chapter 35 and 30, 42, the discovery. What did he discover when he cried out to the Lord? There he is again at the end of 34, running for his life. This time it isn't because of his deception and wrongdoing. He's... He's passed that on to his, his boys. He should have never been in Shechem to begin with. Don't miss in 35.2, what does the Lord say in chapter 35 verse 2? Don't whisper it. Say it out loud. What does this verse say? Okay, I don't know what any of y'all said. It sounded like the day of Pentecost or something out there. And then Jacob, look at chapter 35, verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and all were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. What were the idols doing there to begin with? You know where it began? Guess what? Go back to 31, 34. Who brought daddy's idols with them when they took off out of, out of Dodge? 31, 34. It was who? Rachel. Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel saddle, and sat on them. Some people think there's significance in those idols that represent the head of a household, and maybe that was part of what was going on there, I don't know. But, you know, it seems as though Jacob, and I have that scripture there, Genesis 47, 9, from the New Living Translation, Jacob said, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years. Well, those hard years, many of them were what? Self-inflicted hard years. And here's the last thing to summarize. <coughs> God had a plan for Jacob's life before he was ever born. Jacob kept interfering with God's plan and refused to trust him and leave all the consequences to him. Jacob brought on his own suffering, not only to himself, but his own family, because he wouldn't listen, or because he sought to fulfill or do God's will through his own scheming, conniving, manipulation, rationalization. Instead of waiting on God to give him the blessing, he used deception and manipulation. And he got himself deceived by Laban. And even in the end, his own sons. But Jacob, really, when you think about it, the whole rest of Genesis is about Jacob. Yeah, Joseph is a big prominent character, but it really is filling out the rest of Jacob's life. Jacob was Joseph's daddy. And uh, so, Jacob's an interesting character, isn't he? But I always kind of have this picture of Jacob walking with that limp. And one of those grandkids, maybe one of Joseph's, grandkids saying, Papa, why do you walk that way? He says, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> Don't get in a fight. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Right? Let me tell you. 
Let me tell you when the Lord took me to the woodshed, because that's really what that is. God, God has a way of disciplining us. And sometimes God, because of sin and disobedience, sometimes God allows the limps to stay in our life. I always consider the divorce in my life to be a limp. It's a limp. But here's the thing. Let me encourage you this way. And you've heard me say this before. It's not a limp of defeat or despair or shame, even though it has some of that. It really is a limp of God's grace that even in sin and failure, God's merciful. Right? So don't ever... Sometimes you look at, say, yes, yeah, sin got me the limp. Disobedience got me the limp. But without God's grace and discipline, that limp is not a sign of failure. It's a sign of God's mercy and God's grace. And Jacob is a tremendous trophy of grace, if there ever was one. Amen? Amen.